Let's get started by thanking our wonderful sponsors who make this show possible every week. We can't thank them enough. Kids should grow stronger, but their myopia shouldn't. Certification is now open to all eye care professionals for Cooper Vision's Brilliant Futures Myopia Management Program, featuring MySight One Day, the first and only soft contact lenses FDA approved to slow myopia progression in age-appropriate children. Visit coopervision.com for more information. Vision Edge gives you less eye strain and reduced damage caused by blue light. We like to call Vision Edge sunscreen for the eye. It all starts with your highest level of visual performance, only achievable through scientifically proven Vision Edge. Hello and welcome to the Open Your Eyes podcast. I'm Dr. Kerry Gill, the host of the documentary, Open Your Eyes. Please visit the film's website at openyoureyes2020.com, featuring interviews with more than 50 optometrists from around the country, sharing information on eye care and eye disease. If you like our interviews, press like, subscribe, share, and hit the bell to get notifications of great new interviews. Also, please leave comments. What's needed by every living organism improves our mood, helps creativity, loved by everyone, but mostly underappreciated. I'm speaking about clean water and all its beauty. Today's guest, best-selling author of the book, Blue Mind, and renowned marine biologist, Dr. Wallace J. Nichols, PhD, called a keeper of the sea by GQ Magazine, a water warrior by Aquatics International, and the godfather of water by Irish Life Health and Santa Cruz Wave, Waves Magazine. Dr. Nichols has authored more than 200 scientific papers, and he's a sought after lecturer and turtle expert. Welcome, Dr. Nichols. Hi, how are you doing? It's good to be with you. <laughs> so I, I find that what you have done so interesting because you took something that's pretty obvious and you took an obvious concept that people don't, didn't even realize it's obvious. You know, how much pleasure we get both physiologically and psychologically from water. But I have to turn the tables on you. So what's your water? Oh, good question. Um... Right today, my water is the Pacific Ocean. I um, I can hear I can hear the ocean from where we sleep here in our home, and uh, you know I think this has been a really difficult year for a lot of people. In our family, uh, we got hit with the, the California wildfires and lost lost our home and everything we owned. Oh boy! And I've been really leaning heavily on the uh, the the ocean, you know, having it in our backyard uh, in this place we've, we've moved to. So I'd say right now it would be the Pacific Ocean. But prior to that, a little creek called Mill Creek where we, uh, uh, we got our water back, back where we used to live. So I'm, I'm going with Pacific Ocean for my answer. Yeah. How did you get interested in this concept about water being so soothing from a physiological and psychological point of view? You know, like you said, it's a pretty it's a pretty obvious and intuitive concept. You know, a lot of people when they hear the basic premise of my book, they say, "Well, that's that's so obvious. Why would you need a book to tell you that?" Um, but I, you know, like a lot of people, I in my childhood, I you know, I spent a lot of time in the water. I swam a lot. 
Uh, I was one of those kids that, you know, had to, I was the last one in the pool or the last one in the lake or the ocean. My mom had to say, hey, it's, it's time to get out. And it was my happy place. And uh, I was a pretty shy kid. I stuttered and I was, I guess call, you would call me an introvert these days. And in the water, I felt um, comfortable. I felt more free. Uh, I didn't have to deal with people asking me questions that, you know, that I couldn't answer. And uh, as I grew up, became a marine biologist, I got curious about the science behind that, you know, that feeling. Um, and I, you know, this is, this is my book. I, I wrote it, but I, I, want, I didn't want to write it. I wanted to read it and I couldn't find it. And so um, that it kind of came out of a vacuum, really, if you think about it, like when you really, you've probably experienced this in your career when, when you want something, you want a tool to exist, but it doesn't exist like your film, like your film needed to exist and it didn't. So you made it. And that's kind of how Blue Mind happened. I, I wanted to read it and I wanted to put it into practice with my work for the ocean, but the book didn't exist. So uh, I tried to get some other people to do it. <laughs> I tried to give the idea away and I failed at that. And then it came back to me. Uh, a guy named Dr. Oliver Sacks who's a great neurologist. Um, I wanted him to write it. And uh, he, uh, he said that I should do it. He kind of commanded that. And five years later, I went to New York and brought him a copy of, of uh, the book signed for him and, you know, a little thank you note. Uh, so that's how it happened. I, I, I back, in, back ended into it. As you mentioned, I'm a sea turtle biologist. I've studied sea turtles for 30 years. And uh, I kind of come at this question kind of from that point, that point of view. And when did you fall in love with nature as a whole? Um, yeah, I guess, you know, back in childhood, I, I can distinctly remember uh, just time in the woods, time in the, by the creeks, time at the Jersey Shore. Uh, the Jersey Shore? Yeah, I grew up in Bergen <laughs> County, New Jersey. Uh, oh, no kidding. Outside of New York City, Westwood and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey, before we moved to the Midwest. And, um, you know, any water whether it was a reservoir or a creek uh, or an ocean. Uh, and, you know, I just love, I just love being out there catching frogs and flipping rocks. And uh, so, you know, it wasn't a specific time, but, um, you know, looking back on that, my childhood, it was just, I was fortunate to, you know, grow up at a time when we didn't have these electronics that, you know, we, we had video games like Pac-Man and stuff, but nothing like they have now. And running out the door first thing in the morning and not coming home till it was dark and just being outside in nature and riding our bikes around was just how we grew up. So um, it's kind of, a, you know, I see, I see a lot of kids that don't get to do that these days for a variety of reasons. And, um, you know, and it may be you know, something that you probably deal with um, you know, not to go on an aside here, but, you know, kids looking at screens all day is going to mess up their vision. You know, they don't, they don't get to look around and look for birds at the tops of trees or look off in the distance as much in, out in nature, like humans have done for millennia. And that's changing us. And, um, 
probably keeping you in business to some degree as well. Sadly. You know, the, this, the sun, being out in the sun and being by the water is such an amazing feeling. And, I, and I, in your lectures, you talk about just taking a shower, you know, and having the water run on you, it makes you able to create and think. Talk yeah. about how water helps you with creativity because I know I have like my greatest ideas actually when I'm, excuse my uh, putting an R at the end of idea being from the East. Uh, I have my greatest, you know, thoughts and, you know, I give lectures and my lecture just goes through my head when I'm in the shower and the water's yeah. running on me. And it's like the fact that you're able to connect those dots is just, it's just, just amazing to me. Yeah, a lot of people will agree with us uh, in this conversation. Say you're right. I get I get clear thoughts when I'm in the bath or the shower or when I'm swimming. And and I mentioned Dr. Oliver Sacks. He said he got his best ideas while swimming uh, at Lake Jeff in in New York or in the YMCA swimming pool in in Manhattan. And um, he uh, he used to hop out of the water and jot them down on a legal pad and then hop back in the water and keep swimming. And so a lot of people will agree with, with this observation. And then the question is, is why? Like what, what is it about water that, that does that? Um, but first, I, before we go into that, I wanna share a, a kind of a pro tip. Um, if you can get a dry erase board and stick it to the wall in your shower uh, and then use it. So when you get those ideas, this is what happens to me. I get those ideas. I think that's a really good idea. I, I'll remember that when I get out of the shower and I'll write it down. And then when I'm out of the shower, toweling off, going to write it down, I go, I don't remember. It's gone. But I, I me as well. I, I'm sure it was the world changing idea, but it's gone. So if you can cap and you can't bring, you don't want to bring your phone in the shower. If you can capture that idea on the wall uh, before you forget it. The other option is, is our kids had this soap that was you could write on the side of the bathtub with the soap. Get some of that. It's like a crayon soap. And just write it on the wall in, in the shower and then take a picture of it when you're done. Just a little note to remind yourself of that brilliant idea you got in the shower so you don't forget it. I think that's, that's just a, a silly kind of pro tip. But really what happens, so we switch from red mind to blue mind when we get in the uh when we get in the water whether it's the shower or the bath the lake the river the pool and what i mean by that is red mind is well it's where you and i are right now we're we're uh, focused attention we're using our prefrontal cortex we're we're thinking we're processing uh it's where we spend most of our waking hours we're looking at screens we're solving problems we're processing information which could be language visual information we're keeping very busy it involves some stress some anxiety uh, a lot of distraction and increasingly for modern humans that's that's our life from the moment we wake up we look at our phone many people the last thing they do before they go to sleep is look at their phone and then they set an alarm on their phone and then they start they start the process all over the next day that's our new normal you know, in, in our modern society, red mind. When you get in the water, you leave the technology behind. You generally leave the noise behind, the sirens, the, uh, the to-do lists, 
um, and you get back to just yourself and a, kind of a, a cone of, of silence in a way, or blue noise, I call it, it's the sound of water. So you're, you're in the shower, you're in the waterfall, you're in the pool, and all of those things demanding your attention disappear. Um, if you're floating in the water, the, all of the coordination of all the muscles in your body, you get some of that bandwidth back. So visually, auditorily, somatically, you get all this bandwidth and it's just you and the water. Your brain doesn't turn off. It turns on in a different way that we refer to as blue mind, which affords the opportunity for creative thinking, for insight, uh, for foresight, for future problem solving, uh, for sort of self-referential thinking. You know, the who am I, what am I doing kind of stuff. And that's a different mode. We, we need red mind. It's necessary. Uh, we don't put people on the moon without red mind. You don't win the game or, or win the competition. Uh, you don't really innovate without red mind, but you also don't really succeed without blue mind. And, you know, thinking back to when we, we were kids, we had a lot of daydreaming in our lives. It was just part of life. We had um, boredom. And in that boredom, we just sat and looked, looked out the window. And these days, kid, a kid's bored, they go to YouTube and they're not bored for more than two seconds. It's, they have every song and every movie ever created at their fingertips. Uh, we didn't have that, so we got bored. And in that boredom, we got creative. And from that creativity, we invented a, a new game or we built a fort. Uh, thinking back of my childhood, uh, that was how it was. And so water, water gives us that gift of, you could say boredom. And in that boredom comes this different kind of bandwidth. And then we use that opportunity to have those aha moments, uh, think more deeply uh, about our lives perhaps, or, or you know, have a little moment to solve a puzzle that you've been working on. And uh, so that's what's going on. That's, blue, that's one of the advantages of Blue Mind among the many is that, is that creativity and that innovation that can happen and uh, you're not the first person to say you get your good ideas uh, in the water. And Einstein did. You know, he went sailing in a little boat on a lake. And um, the inventor of Instagram got that idea sitting on a beach in Mexico. And so a lot of innovators, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of artists and musicians. Um, I'll give you one more example. Pharrell Williams, the, he wrote the song Happy that you probably couldn't get out of your head that one summer. Um, he says he, got, he, he gets his creativity from the ocean. Um, that's amazing. He's a very creative man. And he says he gets his, got his creativity from the ocean growing up uh, in Virginia Beach. And so the list is long of, of people, household names and otherwise that um, are, you know, like you and I, we we find some, some creative uh, juices flowing when we're in the water. Yeah. How about advertisers, you know, companies, they advertise using the ocean in the background. That's a, that's a great observation. I've, I've worked with a number of uh, advertising agencies over the past few years and they're, they're onto it. And uh, so Corona beer, for example, it's not the world's best beer, but they do, 
some really great marketing and they primarily use Blue Mind to sell average beer. No offense to Corona. Uh, <laughs> and uh, increasingly you see, watch for this when, when you see ads, pharmaceutical companies use Blue Mind. People jumping in the pool, people walking on the beach uh, to just basically symbolize in two seconds, symbolize health and wellness. So if you're jumping in a pool, you must feel okay. If you're walking down the beach, you must feel okay. And then financial services companies, you know, wealth management companies, they also use Blue Mind for the same reason. To, it's, the, it's the symbol that all is well, that your life is rich. And if you're standing on a cliff overlooking the ocean or grabbing your surfboard and going, going for surf, uh, things are all right. You have um, a healthy life. And so that's the, that's the symbolism. And marketers, you're right, marketers are all over it. Yeah. You talk also in your book and your writings and speaking about gray mind, mm -hmm. trying to avoid gray mind. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so red mind is, is useful uh, as much as it can pr be prone to anger and outburst uh, and distraction, but it's, it's very useful. But if, you're, if you stay in red mind only, you will, you will burn out. You will break down. Parts of your body physically will start to fall apart and you will start to kind of lose that, that, uh, that red mind edge that you need. And so that's kind of what you want to avoid. You want to avoid gray mind, which is, you know, we've, we've ex experienced it a lot this past year. There's a, there's a lot of gray mind going around and there's also a lot of red mind. People are, have really had enough of uh, the, this, this situation and the stress of the world in 2020. And, um, you know, you're seeing that a lot. And, you know, the American Psychological Association will um, publish a, every year they publish a report called Stress in America, which outlines, uh, well, the level of stress that they, they're seeing around the country. And it's on the rise. So anxiety and stress are on the rise, leading to uh, mild or even severe depression. So you can, you can make an argument that gray mind is not very useful it's as an employer it's you don't want your staff to burn out um, as a family you don't want your kids to burn out as an individual you don't you don't want to find yourself in that gray mind mode um, maybe the only useful part of gray mind is, is that it is your body telling you you're done dude take a you know, take a break take a seat this is it you're not you don't have anything left in the tank. You've run to empty, you've run to the reserve, and now there's nothing, nothing more for you to, uh, to draw on. And it, it, it's your body saying time out, time out or else. Uh, and so there is a point that you, you reach if you, if you live in red mind that um, you, will, you will find yourself in gray mind. And, I, and there's, I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it as a goal. Uh, I recommend avoiding it, um, unless you're kind of a you know a poet <laughs> or a musician, and you find some of your most beautiful lyrics come from that that mode. But I still don't really recommend it. Yeah. E. E. Cummings, who was a famous poet, would speak about water, 
if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so he, uh, there, there's a lot of water poetry. There's a lot of um, wa water in artwork. Some of the you know famous artworks uh, depict water, you know whether it's Monet or others. Um, and a lot of great poets write about water. A lot of musicians sing about water. Uh, a lot of great fun songs about about boats and water. And uh, but E. Cummings, um, you know, ha has has some some poems that I I enjoy. I used to read to my kids uh, a lot of poetry um, that just you know kind of touches on this this. Uh, this blue mind sentiment that you know we we find ourselves in in a sense uh, in in the water um, uh, that you find yourself I find myself but then you know when we go to the water together um, as as we sometimes do as couples and as families and with our friends um, the social connection is enhanced and I think his his poetry hints at that that. It's almost a cliche that you go to the water's edge for special ceremonies, uh, for honeymoons. Um, but when we gather as a group, either as a pair or as a family or as a community at the edge of the water, uh, it's a different dynamic than when we gather in a room uh, in, in the built environment. And um, so poets have always kind of described that um, that important dynamic, that that ritual, going to the water, and again, I, I you know, blue mind is not a new idea. Uh, I think it's maybe one of the oldest ideas, um, and it is codified in all spiritual traditions and all sacred texts that this idea, whether they get into the science of it or not, there it is. For back, you go back thousands of years, uh, all of the poets have written about the importance of getting together by the water of going to the water to soothe your soul um you know the judeo-christian tradition the you know the 23rd psalm which is basically a song which is basically a poem so all the psalms are basically poems song poems king james wrote one called the 23rd psalm and it's the one that says when when the crap is hitting the fan get your butt down to the water uh, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you should fear no evil, the Lord, you know, on and on. He, it says, when you're having a bad day, go sit by the water. It will soothe your soul. And all spiritual traditions have something just like that uh, in them that says, you know, if you're, if you're hitting that red mind wall, don't burn out. Go to the water. Let it, let it restore you. Um, that's ancient wisdom that we now have modern science uh, reminding us of it, not, not teaching it because it's been around for a while, but reminding us that this is true. Here's some research that backs it up. Now, what are you gonna do with it? And the, the poetry uh, has been there for a very long time. Um, Herman Melville's great novel, Moby Dick, if, you, if you've read it um, or not, read the first page. The first page basically says, if, you're, if you've had a lot of red mind and you're feeling kind of gray mind creeping in, Melville calls it November in my soul. That's how he describes gray mind. He says, it's time to go to sea. It's time to get on a boat and shake off that November in your soul. 
it's right there. So, you know, in, in one of the great novels, if not the greatest novel of all time, there it is, you know, blue mind, red mind, gray mind. Uh, so the, the writers and the poets and the musicians have been onto this for millennia. And now science is, is catching up with the poets, I guess you could say. You know, if you, if you ask a hundred people, if they're going to go on a vacation and they want to relax, I bet 80, 90% would say, I want to go to a beach. I want to go to a place where there's water. And that kind of brings us to the science of water. Uh, you studied the science of water. I know a lot of my audience is very interested in that. What is the science? What does it do to our hormones, our neurotransmitters? If you could explain some of that, you know, how it affects, you know, uh, oxytocin and some of those things. So, you know, I think that there are two, two broad components. So let's just back off for a second there. When we talk about water, you probably remember learning the water cycle, solid, liquid, and, and vapor, gas, the three states of water. You know, I interviewed uh, Gerald Pollack. You know, oh, you yeah, and we talked. He talked about the fourth phase of water, fourth the phase. gel phase of water. Yeah. I yeah. don't know if you, if you have ever connected with him, or if you guys are buddies. I, it, you know, uh, we've we've crossed paths, and in his work comes up a lot. Yeah, you know, so uh, so that yeah, I appreciate you bringing this up. It, um, and part of what we're doing, I think, what what he's doing, what we're doing with Blue Mind is uh, that that water cycle that you learned in school in third grade or whenever it was. Um, it's a, it needs to be updated. We need a better version of it that includes this new science so that, that all kids everywhere in the world learn the new science of the water cycle. And what I would add to it is that during all of those phases, all those forms that you, the states that water, uh, we encounter water in, it isn't just for hydration and hygiene, and it isn't just ecological and economic benefits. There's also vast emotional health benefits that occur. Um, and it, it, it's true for snow and ice, as well as uh, fog and clouds. You know, you think of the days perhaps that you spent just looking at the clouds and seeing the shapes and being mesmerized by fog uh, watching the snow fall. You know, I know there are days when you dread the snow and the ice, and you certainly, there are days that you dread the rain. But even those days, you look out at it and you're like, it's beautiful. I mean, those, you know, it's, it's you know, the whole concept of a white Christmas, of going out and having it be a blanket of quiet uh, on your world. And, you know, all of the poetry in that. So that's part of the water cycle as well. And that's the science that, that you're, you know, you're asking about. And so water in all of its forms um, and all of its categories. So whether it's wild or domestic, the water in your home or the water in the river, uh, or it's urban, it's in your town, it's in a fountain or a waterfront, or even virtual poetry and art and film and music depicting water and all of these forms in uh, all of these states of water, what they do for us is is biological, but it's it's and it's emotional. And so the two broad categories of of what happens: one is what water takes away, what it precludes, and then there's also what it offers us. So we we talked a little bit about it earlier. 
Water disallows your technology, generally speaking. Your iPhone, your iMac, you know, your, 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 your laptop computer doesn't like the water. So you got to leave it on the shore. You got to leave it. You don't bring it into the bathtub. Some people do, but I don't recommend it. You don't take your smartphone uh, into the shower. That's a bad idea. Um, you don't bring it into the pool. So the water kind of takes away all that chatter and all that noise and gives you the opportunity for restoration. So it simplifies uh, the auditory and visual input that has become just pervasive in our world. <clears throat> there are kids that never experience solitude in their entire life. That's amazing to never, to not know what solitude is, to never know what privacy is, because there's always a device recording your clicks, your whereabouts, your voice, uh, and more. So to never experience solitude and privacy. So one big category is what water takes away, it takes away that surveillance, takes away that, um, that information overload. And then the other side of it is what it gives us. And it, it gives us buoyancy, right? It gives us its sound, it gives us uh, uh, its rhythm. Uh, it gives us this visual input that psychologists refer to as a soft fascination. And so from a visual perspective, it's not conveying words, it's not conveying a lot of information, but somehow, and your insights into this would be incredible, um, somehow it holds us. Somehow it's not boring. So if I said, look at that wall, it's painted blue, isn't it nice? You'd say, yeah, that's nice. In about 10 seconds, you'll start to get bored of that blue wall. But if I say, look at that view of the ocean, isn't it nice? And you say, yeah, that's really nice. I know people who will sit and watch it for a week and call that a great vacation. They'll pull up their chair on the beach and maybe they have a book, they don't really get around to the book, they'll just stare at the water and they will claim that it never gets boring. It's, it's this thing called soft fascination. The sound of it as well. Looking out at an occasional bird, the occasional boat, the occasional dolphin uh, just holds us there. And so it's visually interesting, but not it doesn't require us to do a lot of work to understand it. There's a little bit of information, there's novelty, it holds us there, but it doesn't overwhelm us with processing. So it's not language, it's not words, it's not um, ideas that we need to interpret, but it holds us in its fascination. So that's what water gives us. And in that place that I refer to as blue mind, you can call it whatever you want. You can, you can call it your happy place. I call it blue mind. Our heart rate starts to slow. Uh, our skin temperature cools a little bit. Um, we become entrained in the rhythm of the ocean or entrained in the sound of the river. Uh, and when we do that alone, we can kind of synchronize with that environment. It puts us in a calm place where uh, cortisol levels drop, the stress hormones. Feel-good hormones increase. So you get some, uh, some serotonin mixed with some oxytocin and even the dopamine hit, which is kind of the addictive, um, the chemical of addiction, which to me, this is a healthy addiction. 
And so I, I, what I've learned from the neuroscientists is if we can harness the chemistry of addiction as a force for good, we can change the world. It's not, it's not all about getting rid of that, um, that feature of our bodies and our lives. It's about harnessing it. So rather than being uh, addicted to casinos, you become addicted to cleaning up beaches and helping people. So it's using that, that reward uh, structure that we have you know, in our, in our personal chemistry uh, and harnessing it as a force for good. So in that blue mind state, we're getting rid of a lot of stuff that doesn't like the water. You're getting rid of a lot of the sound and the sights that keep your, you know, fill out all that chatter that's normal life. And you're getting this uh, visual soft fascination, this auditory rhythm. And the sound of water turns out, the research on sound, uh, turns out it's a great way to mask uh, noise. So the sound of water is the best sound to mask uh, human voices. So when you're sitting by a fountain uh, in the city and you wanna have a conversation with someone, you sit close to them and that sound of that fountain is gonna mask everybody, all the other conversations, giving you this kind of cone of privacy. So those are just a few of the, the things I describe in my book, but uh, the upshot- How about sleep? How about sleep, the sound oh, yeah. of sleeping? One of the, the, the top uh, sleep apps, uh, you know, is, is just sound. And the top sounds that people use, utilize to fall asleep are water. So it may be the sound of rain. And I'll describe it now and, and you may fall asleep listening to me. <laughs> the sound of rain is soothing you just you know, close your eyes and imagine that nighttime rain that just makes you feel so happy that you're in your bed and safe and warm and it helps you sleep uh the, it's a soothing sound and it masks all the distractions the sound of the ocean uh i can hear the ocean from my house if i'm very lucky and on those rainy nights with ocean waves it's just so nice to sleep uh, and then the sound, the sound of a, a river uh, or a creek, a babbling brook. So those are the top three sounds that people choose to help them sleep in a non-pharmaceutical way, non-chemical way. Uh, it's our brain making our own chemistry. And uh, it's not surprising really to me that those, those would be the, the top sounds. Uh, that's just blue mind in action. Another, another when you say, ask about sleep, I work with a lot of veterans groups and uh, men and women who are carrying a lot of post-traumatic stress. And uh, we do various kinds of therapies in the water. So it might be kayak therapy, fishing therapy, dive therapy, or surf therapy. And uh, one man uh, that I met got off of his first surf session. He learned to surf. And he said, that night I slept the best I've slept in three years. Uh, and he said, I have not really slept in three years because of my experiences. Uh, and uh, he said, what a gift, sleep. What, what, a, what an amazing gift to sleep, you know, six, seven, eight hours. And he said, the ocean put me in that, in that place. And, you know, this group stays at a, at a hotel in Santa Cruz and they can see and hear the ocean and then they're in the ocean all day. And the, the combination of exhaustion, physical exhaustion, uh, and the ocean 
exercising in the ocean uh, helped him sleep. And he said, um, best sleep in, in years. And it, you, know, you know that sleep is the basis of health. Um, it's, it's when we, we reconcile and compile and prune uh, our, our, our cognitive input. We make memories and we jettison stuff we don't need. And you need it. You need, your brain needs to sleep. It's a, it's a part of our health regime to sleep well. And so How about end, end of life hospice type patients that, you know, that are stuck in a, people that are stuck or people that are stuck in a nursing home? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would say, you know, from, from both ends of the, the spectrum of life from birth to death. So there's, there's a highly recommend the practice of blue mind for pregnancy, pregnancy, pregnant women. Uh, if you can give birth, ch you know, childbirth in water, that's great. If you could labor in water and then hop out, uh, but during pregnancy and after pregnancy, um, spending time in the water, exercising, moving is very healthy, should be prescribed or encouraged. And then at the end of life, um, when your, your body's slowing down, when gravity is taking its toll, um, if you can be in the water more, do it. You know, if you can help someone who's in that stage of life, um, get in the water and spend time by the water, do it. You know, for all of the, all the reasons we've described, if um, end of life is stressful, you know, it's scary, it's, it's uncertain. If you can help people, uh, your loved ones in particular, reduce that stress, um, again, that's a gift. If, and then if you're um, helping your loved one die, and we all will, will do that, um, that's stressful for you too. If you're a caregiver, if you're a hospice professional, um, helping people die is a stressful career and thank you for it. And especially now it's challenging, uh, but take care of yourself. Practice if you're, a, if you're a health practitioner, especially dealing with patients who are dying, uh, don't fall in the gray mind. We, we need you, we need you uh, strong. So the, um, the practice of blue mind is, is for health practitioners. It's for families of patients and it's for the patients themselves. Um, but I, you know, I talk to a lot of people who say that they grieve in the water, they grieve by the water, they cry in the shower. Um, so take your, take your pain and sorrow and your grief and take it to the water, take it, take it to the, uh, the beach, um, take it into the bathtub. It's a good, good place to process it. Macular degeneration is a leading cause of vision loss, with 15% of Americans being at risk or already affected. Scientific evidence proves that by using mesozeaxanthin, lutein, and zeaxanthin together replenishes the macular pigment and promotes healthier vision. This formula comes in only one product, MacuHealth. Thank you for tuning in to the Open Your Eyes podcast. If you like the video you're watching, please hit the like button. Also hit subscribe for weekly new episodes of the podcast along with pod winks and bonus content. All right, let's get back to the show. You talked about a story of a woman who, was in the, uh, who loved the water, who was in the wheelchair. Mm -hmm. They took her to the water. If yeah. you could tell that story. Yeah, Jarmila, um, she was a, a beloved UCLA professor um, and uh, retired and uh, was an immigrant and um, a, a Czech woman. And um, she um, ended up in a nursing home, ended up very alone. And my friend Greg uh, and his wife 
uh, met her or maybe knew her, uh, knew she was in a nursing home, went to visit her to check in on her, just as a, a nice gesture. And they said, Jarmila, what do you, what do you want to do? And uh, she said, I miss the ocean. And so Greg figured out, got, he got a van, got her Jarmila in her wheelchair in the van and they went down to Santa Monica and went out to the Santa Monica Pier and wheeled her out there. And, you know, at this point she'd been in a nursing home for years and kind of, kind of lonely and uh, end of her life. And uh, Greg brought her out there and she, she stood up out of the wheelchair and she shuffled forward and grabbed the railing and stood at the railing and just, you know, let herself be washed by the sound and the view of the ocean. And later on, Greg said, um, hey, Jarmila, I didn't know that you could even stand anymore, let alone walk. And Jarmila said, uh, I haven't had anything worth standing for in a long time. And that's, that, that gives me chills. Uh, you know, we love, we love our water, no matter who we are, where we are in the world. And Jarmila's water was that ocean that she missed so much. And uh, it rallied her in her last days to stand and walk. I mean, that's awesome. And um, so if there's a loved one in your life that you know wants to see their water one more time before they're done, do what you can to get them there. I mean, really, it, uh, there's probably some logistics to it, um, especially nowadays. But wow, that's, you know, our, the water we love is, is it, may be our, it may be our best friend. Um, and so, you know, uh, offer that uh, to those in your life that need it. That's a beautiful, it really is a beautiful story. How about the mountains? They almost give the same feeling as water. Yeah, I, I, you know, I occasionally hear people say, well, you know, I read your book and I'm more of a mountain person than an uh, ocean person or a water person. And I, usually what I say is when you're in the mountains, do you ever look up and enjoy the clouds? Those are water. Clouds are water, but the, nothing else. They're 100% water vapor. Uh, and when you're in the mountains, do you ever sit by a creek or a lake and enjoy it? Sometimes when you go for a hike in the mountains, is your destination the water? Or when you're in the mountains, do you ever uh, enjoy the snow? That's water too. Right. Yeah. And then they then they kind of go. You're right. Wow, I love the mountains, but it's not the rock uh, entirely. It's also the water in the mountains and all those forms in you know clouds and fog and lakes and creeks and rivers and snow and ice in the mountains. And so it really is blue mind. And I I extend the concept of blue mind to include nature in general, forests and. Uh, and wetlands and meadows, because in fact, those, those trees are mostly made of water. And I, I experienced that with these wildfires. If you, if you remove all the water uh, from those plants, you're left with ash. It's the water that makes them beautiful and alive. And so even a forest is, um, you know, millions of gallons of water in those trees. That's, they're made of water as we are. And so, uh, you know, it's a uh, blue mind extends to the green spaces as well as, as the, uh, the, the, the watery places. Mm -hmm. 
my greatest memories as a child, you know, as an adult, is when I'm near when I've been near water, you know, riding my bicycle as a little kid, and it's in, actually in the movie along the beach in Cape Cod, Cape Cod, yeah. and you know, being with my current wife and. You know the, the 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 feeling of being with water. Talk about the nostalgia of water. Yeah, you know, there's this the, the word nostalgia. Sometimes people downplay its importance um, and think that you know, it's a maybe it's a weakness to be nostalgic. Um, I think it's it's on us, on each of us as adults, to make sure our kids, the next generation, our our kids, our grandkids, our nieces and nephews, and any kids that in our neighborhoods form nostalgia for beautiful places like you're describing, your nostalgia for water, for watery places, for the forests, for the parks, also for good music and good food, um, rather than forming nostalgia for a brand uh, or a device that will be gone perhaps when we're, when they're adults. So it's so important that our nostalgia is not co-opted by people who, who want to co-opt it to sell us stuff. I understand why they do that, because it works. And I'm not saying that they should stop because they're gonna keep using nostalgia to sell us stuff. But it's up to us to make sure that we all have our, our nostalgia deeply connected to, to good music and good food and, and great places. And water, man, water is like a nostalgia factory. <laughs> you know, like you ask people these questions about their childhood, and if they if they uh, had a water connection, they will they'll get very nostalgic. You know, whether it's uh, riding their bike by the water and or jumping in a creek or swimming in a pool, um, the memories we make. Uh, in the water, near the water, and on the water are so rich and they go so deep. And it's for the reasons we described earlier, all the distractions kind of strip away and we have these intense social experiences in the water. And um, I'll tell you one story. I, when my kids reached a certain age, I have two daughters, they're both teenagers now. When they reached a certain age, they, they got too cool for dad. I guess is the simple way of putting it. And they come home from school and I'd say, how was your day? And they'd say, fine. And I say, what did you do? And they'd say, nothing. And that's all the information I could extract from my own kids. And then we got this cedar hot tub on the deck, just a soaking tub, no jets, nothing fancy, no lights. Um, just this big wood classic cedar hot tub. And we made it a ritual to sit in it before bed, like late at night. And in the water, they would just talk. It was like magic. And I, I never mentioned my strategy to them because I didn't want to wreck it. But I'll say it here, it's a good parenting tip or, or um, any, you know, for anybody who wants to open up a conversation. Um, the, uh, I couldn't, they would just talk. We get in the water and they just talk. And they, we talk about it now, They're, they loved those sessions. You know, be raining outside, we get in the hot tub outside and get rained on, but be in the hot water, be a starry night, uh, the owls would be out or whatever it was. It'd be a hard day for everybody. We get in the hot tub and it was a better day and we'd talk. And those were the 
probably the best conversations I ever had with my kids was just sitting in the water. And uh, that built some of their nostalgia, you know, those moments, of, you know, family time, uh, sitting in the hot tub. And uh, so I, you know, nostalgia is important. It isn't, a, it isn't a weakness. Uh, it isn't somehow backwards thinking it's, it's our history. And um, if you can create, you know, things that uh, you're nostalgic about that are good things, you know, water, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons people protect and restore lakes and rivers and oceans right now is that they have some degree of nostalgia for that river when it was clean and healthy uh, and they want to maintain it that way. So I think it's a nostalgia is a powerful force. Yeah. How about flow tanks that have become very popular? Yeah, we almost, we almost got, I was almost going to mention float tanks earlier. So I'm glad you brought it up. They, so back in the seventies, float tanks started happening and they were kind of a counterculture thing and, and got labeled. There was a, a film that came out, you may remember called Alters, Altered States that kind of gave, gave float tanks kind of sensory deprivation tanks got a bad name. Uh, but in the last, you know, I'd say 10 or 15 years, they really had a, a resurgence. And um, what we see is float tanks popping up all over the world in small towns and big cities. Uh, we're starting to see pro athletes so the, you know, the Chicago Cubs put a float tank in the locker room the year they won the World Series. The New England Patriots, many members used to float. Um, the Golden State Warriors, Steph Curry and his pals during their, their championship runs, they would float in San Francisco. Um, and it's just a, it's like extreme blue mind. It's, if you're not familiar with a float tank, the water, your body and the air in this little capsule are the same temperature. There's about 18 inches of water. It's, it's hypersaturated with uh, Epsom salt, um, magnesium chloride. And so you're, you're in this tank, the air is warm, your body is warm, the water's warm, but it's all the same temperature. It's not a hot situation, but it's, it's warm. And you, you float like a cork and you close the lid and it's dark and soundproof. And it's the most nothing you've ever experienced in your life. And you may say, well, that's boring. Well, if you're boring, it's boring. <laughs> but if you've got something going on upstairs, it's coming out. And so, you know, buyer beware. It's just, it's all you all the time. And you go in there for 60 minutes and it might feel like 60 years. And uh, it's a different experience. And I, you know, I always say you need to, tr if you haven't tried it, you need to try it. And you really need to try it three times so that you really, the first time you do it, it's kind of weird. You might be thinking the whole time you're in that tank, what the heck am I doing here? This is weird. The second time it's less weird. The third time you just go in, you know, the routine and you may actually get a deep relaxing uh, you really hit that goal but you know creative people do it um right you know navy seals use float tanks um it's just a de-stressing mechanism at its most basic but it opens up doors to creativity and and problem solving and um you know music writing and um, math problems whatever you're working on 
you bring it in there for 60 minutes, 90 minutes, uh, or just do nothing. Or just really, truly go with the nothing concept. And, uh, you know, it's the most nothing you've ever experienced. And in this crazy world of too much stimulation, that's, that's a gift. You know, 60 minutes sure is. is really a gift. It sure is. <laughs> How else do professional athletes use water to benefit benefit them in their athletic ability? Yeah, so you know what we're mostly familiar with the you know water therapies, the hot cold therapies, you know after a, a hard workout or after um, a hard training session or a really rough game. Uh, increasingly, and I, I can remember back you know playing football in high school, that was being done for for therapeutic reasons for all all kinds of athletes. Um, but I think what's what we're seeing in addition to, you know, float tanks, what we're seeing is that workouts themselves are being moved into the water. So not just recovery uh, of the mind and recovery of the body. We're seeing that the workout is now being submerged. And two big reasons, um, fewer injuries, and higher resistance. So if moving through moving your, your arm through air, your body through air, your legs through the air, uh, there's minimal resistance. You still get a workout, but that's why you add weight. That's why you put weights in your hands, add weight to your vest. Uh, that's why we, you know, we have add weight to increase that resistance. In the water, just moving your arm back and forth uh, is more effortful. Um, so what we're seeing is a lot of, you know, Oakland Raiders, former, <laughs> formerly Oakland Raiders, uh, a friend of mine used to train with them in a pool. And they basically bring their entire fitness program, um, treadmills, uh, pull-up bars, uh, weights, and they drop them in this pool. And these guys would have to dive down to the bottom of the pool and lift weights. And it just add this, adds this extra level of... Um, strain you could say but also um, you know the cardio workout is different there's this pressure on you from the volume of water above you and around you and uh and then again you're less prone to injury as you are on land um my friend pianchi who's the trainer that has worked with the raiders he also had a client who was uh 600 plus pounds and um he was a rapper, uh, musician in, uh, in Oakland. And when he, he started training him to lose weight and he said, when he got in the water, he felt like an angel on land. He felt impossible just because of his weight, just so hard to move. So hard to get a seat on an airplane, so hard to do anything. So hard to breathe sometimes. But in the water, this man felt like an angel. And if you've gone through your whole life feeling like a, just loaded down physically, and then you feel like an angel, and then a guy like Pianchi says, do some chin-ups, and you do the chin-ups because you're, you're buoyant in the water. And he says, swim a lap, and you swim a lap. And he says, run on that treadmill, and you run on the treadmill in a way that you never did online. That builds your confidence. So there's another component in the water that the water supports us and it builds our confidence. It's a, and, I, and I've been told by people, I've heard this over and over again, that the water feels, the warm water feels like a hug, feels like a whole body hug. 
And who doesn't need a hug these days? So that's a tremendous concept. I love that. That's yeah. fantastic. I never heard that before. That's that's unbelievable. And you know, a lot of our seniors do water aerobics, and you know, it's very therapeutic for them. And it's fun. That's the other part of it. Like there's a there's a playfulness to it. And if you can bring fun uh, to your workout, uh, there's a social element to it. Uh, rather than going uh, into the health club, putting on headphones and staring at the news station and getting more red mind in your brain. Or gray mind, right? Or gray mind. You know, you don't need that. And if you can go and work out and be supported, hugged, uh, have fun and reduce the number of injuries, you know, I, I think, I think there's a, a lot of, we'll see a lot of growth. I mean, you can basically take a whole CrossFit program and put it in the pool and uh, it's better. Um, obviously there are logistical issues about maintaining a pool that you need to deal with, but I think you're going to see more and more of that kind of thing because the, the pros are doing it They're They get it. Um, they're, they're moving. Um, they, they don't, they don't have, um, uh, any, they have a zero tolerance for, uh, off season injuries. They have zero tolerance for training related injuries. It's not okay. You can't. You can't blow out a knee while you're practicing or while you're lifting weights and still have a job. It just doesn't work. So if you can reduce the injuries, increase the efficiency of the workout, uh, including flexibility, and have more fun, well, good. You're, you know, that's a good that's a good program. I remember the Mets had a player, I think it was Greg Jeffries, who grew up swinging a bat in the water. Oh, well. Wow for the resistance and you know I, I think it was like his father's idea and they said that's one of the reasons he became such a great hitter and he had such a quick bat yeah imagine it just you can just imagine it right just trying to pull that bat through the water and then you get on land in the air and you're just like this is easy bam you know hitting that ball far um I imagine you could do it with golf and tennis and everything you know and they've used water to help prisoners if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, there's a, you know, an experimental program that's starting to you know, uh, become more popular, a prison in Oregon that did some of this research. And um, so the prison environment is, is obviously not, um, not a great place for the people who work there, for the, for the inmates, people who are incarcerated, for the families of both. Um, the, uh, there's a high level of red mind needless to say, there's aggression. Uh, there's people who sometimes need to be put in solitary confinement. When that happens, uh, it's horrible for everybody. And um, it's inhumane, but it's, it's, it's the way the system works. And you want to reduce injuries to the staff and, and to those who are incarcerated. And so the experiment looked at how Blue Mind could be applied uh, in those cases. Um, so you can start with painting walls blue, which is calming, just a calming color. But they also started putting in screens that could show uh, water-based imagery, you know, ocean footage, lakes and rivers. And what they found is that it helped people just calm down and, um, and hurt themselves less, um, require less solitary confinement and hurt each other less. And so um, I look at that research and I think, okay, if it works in prisons, 
what are other prison-like environments? Well, sometimes your own home can feel like a prison these days. <laughs> yeah. yes, uh, I can recall a few places where I went to school that felt prison-like. And I know there are office buildings that are poorly designed that feel that way. So if we can apply what we've learned uh, in literal prisons to prison-like environments, you know, poorly designed environments perhaps, or places where just out of necessity we're stuck, say at home during a pandemic, how could you add water to your life if you're stuck at home? Of course, there's the bathtub and the shower, but what else? Um, we talked about the audio. You can play water sounds rather than the news on the radio and listen to that a few minutes a day. It can help you sleep, but you can also put artwork. You know, do you have a, I mean, like the poster behind you. It's, you know, it's like, it's, it's that you're looking out on a, on a view there. And there's something about that view that just is appealing. You know, there's a, so you can use artwork, photography, painting, uh, abstract or literal artwork um, to get yourself into a, a more blue mind place. You can put a, a small fountain on a desk. Uh, you can put, you know, a water feature in your home. Uh, they don't have to be extravagant. You can literally buy a water feature and plug it in, add a little water and it's a, a fountain on your desk. Um, you know, my daughter has this thing it's like an LED light thing. She plugs it in and it, it looks like the surface of, of the ocean on the ceiling. So um, if she puts on ocean sound and puts that light at night on the ceiling, it's just very relaxing. And it's, it's the antidote to you know, Snapchat and TikTok. Uh, it puts their, their minds at ease a little bit and they can wind down. So. You know, even if you're stuck at home, you can apply the things we're talking about. You studied sea turtles, yeah, and you had a friend, Chewy, who used to eat sea turtles. <laughs> right. Tell us a little bit about the benefits of sea turtles and the some of the interesting migration of sea turtles. Yeah, well, you know, Chewy, Chewy Don Chewy Lucero is a, is a great man. Uh, he's a um, stoic, elegant man, really. He's a, like when Chewy shows up, he's like, He's like the astronaut of fishermen. He's just, he's got a white cowboy hat and he always has a big belt buckle. And he's, you know, if he's been out fishing all day, he's definitely gets cleaned up, puts on his Western shirt and he's, you know, he's just kind of a classic gentleman. And he grew up hunting and, and eating sea turtles and now he's protecting them. And he's a leader and he's very, very good at protecting sea turtles. And he had a day where he just, his, his, um, his switch flipped. He said, wow, I've, I've been part of the problem. These animals may go extinct. And he, and he was holding a baby sea turtle in his hands and he was part of a team that was helping release them. And he just had a moment, you know, an epiphany and uh, a moment of awe and wonder. And it made sense. He said, I need to, I need to switch, switch gears here. I need to be part of the team that makes these make sure these animals don't go extinct. And it wasn't work that I did specifically that accomplished that, it was the animals. It was nature itself calling him and you know transforming him into a very, very uh, effective professional at what he does. And he's great at it. He goes around to the fishing communities and 
helps people understand what he understands. And you said he, he, he would tell you the same story. So I was holding that baby turtle in my hand and I looked at it and I said, wow, look at that little baby turtle in my hand and think about where it's going, what it's got to do and the migrations and all the challenges. And then it comes back here and it's 300 pounds and I eat it. You know, I, it just, it didn't make sense then anymore. And he said, I got to make sure these animals don't disappear so that my grandkids will never know them. And so that's, you know, I'm a marine biologist. So I studied migration, genetics. I studied what the turtles eat, what they do, how fast they grow, um, the barnacles that live on them, all that stuff. And I realized that nobody was going to read my research, basically. All 12 people I knew on a first name basis that were interested in my research, my fellow scientists, we get together at conferences and talk to each other. And then we go back and do more. And I realized that without the behavior change component, um, my research was pointless. So I, I, you know, I haven't given up on, on the science, um, but there's a science of behavior change too. And, uh, and you know this well in, in, in terms of health, healthcare and wellness, um, you can research the heck out of it and put journal articles together. And they're gonna sit there in the library or sit there online until you figure out how to kick them into action and get people to listen to you. So making a documentary film, doing a podcast, you know, that's, that reaches people in a way that scientific journals never will. Same thing with saving sea turtles. Uh, you gotta put it, put it into the hearts and minds of people somehow and change behavior from turtle hunting and turtle consumption to turtle protection and maybe ecotourism. So people make a living saying, hey, come follow me. I'm gonna show you a beautiful turtle on a beach or in the water. And so that's the, that's the flip that's happened. And, and you know, it wasn't until we really realized that we're in the behavior change business, not the turtle science business. Um, turtles don't need to be told what to do. <laughs> they know what to do, people do. <laughs> And, uh, and if you tell people what to do, they probably won't do it. You have to approach it very differently. Um, and so, you know, whether it's health and wellness or saving the ocean, it's the same basic toolkit. You make a great point before about scientists doing research and the research never gets to where it needs to go. The average, you know, scientist does research in medicine. It takes 17 years for that science to translate to change the way doctors practice. So, uh, you know, a long like you road. Said, it's, 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 it's an unfortunate situation, but you know, it's kind of the way it, the way it is. There's two things I just want to end with you on. First is we talked about before about kids, you know, sitting in front of a computer and not going out and into nature. And, you know, you've probably thought a lot about this and I don't know if anyone has any, has the answer. But how do you think we could get our kids outside and away from these digital devices that we all know are probably not doing them a lot of good and getting them into nature, which will do them a lot of good? Yeah, I, I think we need to tell a better story about nature and its benefits. And currently, you know, we're told nature is important. Nature is biodiversity. 
nature gives us ecosystem services. Um, and, we, and we've politicized it, which is unfortunate. Nature should not be politicized. Nature is not a cause. It's our life. It's our, it's our livelihood. It's our future. It's not a cause. It's not an issue. It's not an organization. It's not a movement. Nature is, is us. Nature is the only thing that's keeping us alive. So I think that's part of it, just a, a general reframing of the conversation. But this is my, this is my what if question. Like what if um, every doctor, therapist, nurse understood Blue Mind? And what if every teacher and parent understood and shared Blue Mind? Um, what if every real estate agent out there understood Blue Mind? Um, what if every coach and guide understood Blue Mind? And just basically, it was common knowledge to share with our kids so that when you went to school, you one of the things you learned was that if you're having a bad day, go to the water. If you're having a good day, go to the water. <laughs> if you have uh, somebody that you think you're kind of sweet on and you know you might want to talk to and have a more conversation with, take them to the water. Um, if you're, if you're, you have a big important conversation with a colleague, do it by the water. Uh, if your brain is stuck, just really stuck and you can't figure something out, go sit by the water. Uh, if you're a creative person, and your livelihood is based on your creativity, spend more time by the water. Um, if you're really, really sad, go to the water, be sad. What if, we, what if our kids learned that just as common knowledge? And they graduated from high school and they knew all of this stuff that we're talking about just because they were taught it every year at a kindergarten level, all the way up to a senior in high school level they would probably do more of what we're talking about. And they would probably have an easier time saying, I'm putting the phone away, I'm, I'm jumping in the water. I'm paddling out, I'm going for a swim. I'm gonna get the fishing pole, I'm gonna sit there. I didn't bring my phone because it's good for this, 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 and this. And I like those things. Uh, we don't teach it. I didn't learn any of this in school. And I went to the 24th grade, which my kids freak out about because they're, they're like, dad, what's wrong with you? <laughs> too much school overeducated but I didn't learn any of this in school none not not a bit um it's it sad made, really I mean this should be taught in school it's so and it's so easy I mean a first grader or a kindergartner could understand this yeah and we can we can update the water cycle and we can add uh the blue mind component you know water does all these things it goes through all these forms it cycles around the world and hey guess what when it when it meets you it does all these all of these things, not just physical, not just, you know, it's emotional benefits. If we would just add, we can update the water cycle. Um, it'd be fun to teach. I mean, geez, well, if I was a teacher, I'd love to teach Blue Mind in my history class, in my art class, in my science class, in my health class. Uh, and so, I, you know, we just, we need to do that. And I, I have to say, I'm, I can say it, I don't know how to do that, uh, but I, I'm, I'm punting it to the, uh, to the educators of the world, to the curriculum developers, to creative people who, uh, I mean, you and I, are, we're sitting here talking about it. So, and people are gonna listen to this and-, and We're I, gonna get this podcast out all over. So people yeah. are gonna hear it, trust me. Now, I yeah. gotta ask you about something that I'm very passionate about and, and you know, and 
I guess it puts me into the red mine, maybe even the gray mine, because it's upsetting, is the plastic in the ocean and the pollution in the ocean. And the little bit, uh, when you look at the percentage of money that that's spent on cleaning up the ocean and caring about the, the ocean. Can you talk a little bit about that? And how did that happen with all this plastic? And how could everybody get involved to 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 help get the oceans cleaned up? Yeah, so we, you know, we're we're an ocean planet. When you look at it from space, it's mostly ocean. You know, most of the life on Earth lives in the ocean. Um, some of it's plankton, some of it's tiny, and some of it's as big as a whale. Um, but most of the life on our planet's oceanic. Um, it's the source of our weather. It's the source of livelihoods and food, and we depend. We need need a healthy ocean to be to be healthy here whether you realize it or not whether it feels that way or not it's just just true and over the past 50 years uh, among other threats to the ocean we've put a lot of plastic into it um, not on purpose not just like people said hey let's go put plastic in the ocean but it's the ocean is downstream and our waste disposal just all over the world is often subpar and our pr production of plastic just went crazy. I mean, think about when we were when we were kids, we got milk delivered in glass bottles to a milk box in New Jersey. That wasn't that long ago. Um, and then they then they kind of said, "Hey, wait, maybe we can put milk in plastic." And that started. And we're like, "Oh, that's a little lighter, a little safer." Then everything started going into plastic, and then you know, the cups and the silverware and this, the plastic straws and this and that. And then the dis, this disposable mentality that you use it once and you throw it away. Um, so convenience and big margins basically have driven the production of plastic. And really it's not slowing down. You know, there's a lot of people talking about it now, but plastic production is still growing. Um, and we have our ability to manage it has not kept pace. So we've exported these products. I work in places like Indonesia, small islands with small communities, and they're getting all this plastic shipped in. They don't know what to do with it when they're done. You know, single drink cups of water. Then what? You have one quick drink of water and then you got this plastic cup. What do you do with it? So it sits there, it gets thrown in a pile, gets thrown on the beach, goes in the ocean. Big storm comes, washes it all in. So we're, you know, we're seeing those who study this every day are seeing more and more and more plastic show up where it shouldn't be. You know, it's the people who make plastic didn't say, hey, let's put our plastic inside sea turtles. Of course not. They're not evil. They're business people and they're looking for ways to grow their business and increase the margins. And that's their driver. But we need to also meet that with uh, responsible management. Um, you just have to, there's no, no other option. And I, you know, as a sea turtle biologist, I used to walk down a turtle beach and if there was a piece of plastic, I'd pick it up and the beach was clean. <laughs> like that's all it took. Nowadays you spend your, you spend all day, every day doing beach cleans. You come back the next day and it needs it again because it just keeps washing in. Um, used to be that we didn't find plastic inside turtles and now I'd say every single sea turtle in the world will eat plastic at some point in its life. And they should eat none. There should not be plastic inside wildlife. 
any, anywhere, especially the middle of the ocean. So as a problem, you know, be direct, but also optimistic. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, I'm, I put my money on humans to solve it, to come up with a better material to do the job that plastic does, a different kind of plastic, a kind of uh, material that truly is um, biodegradable that ends up in the ocean and then becomes, you know, dissolves in a safe way, um, as well as re switching back to smart reusables where you bring the container back to the store and you get brand loyalty and you get a refill or they take the container back, they wash it, they put it through their process, but they give you more. Um, back when we used to bring like Coke bottles back for a nickel, you know, the deposit on them, that worked. But the plastic industry didn't care for that. And they legislated that out, uh, but it was a good system. Um, so, you know, some of these things sound old, old fashioned, but we can modernize reusables. Um, and so that's- the benefit of drinking out of glass versus plastic. That's right. I, and there's an aesthetic benefit. I mean, if you, if you have, I, I don't care to drink, a, like say a glass of wine out of a plastic cup. I'd rather have it out of a gl glass, you know. And um, how much plastic are we drinking? And, you know, you know, I, you know, like I said, I interviewed Joe Polly, I interviewed uh, Dr. Q Collins about deuterium. I'm sure you know about that as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, so what can we do? The people that are listening to this, how can they get involved in helping to keep the oceans clean? You know, I, I don't really want to answer that question because <laughs> um, that's not a dodge. Uh, if you're listening to this and you care the way we care, you know what to do. That's my answer. You you know you know. No, that's Just do it. Like you know it. You know it. I know what to do. You know too. I don't always do the things I need to do. I need to remind myself to you know keep at it. And um, I think that answer is more effective than me giving you a list of things you immediately forget. <laughs> so <laughs> you the know blue, you the don't. blue marble. You know yes. you give lectures or. You talk to people and you give them blue marbles. Explain that. Uh, you know, I, years ago, um, this conversation about the ocean was just full of bad news from plastic pollution, to overfishing and climate change and poaching and whale hunting and this and that. And it was, it was burning me out. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't read my inbox because it was just like bad news. And I thought if it's burning me out and I'm, I'm pretty fired up and this is my job. What's happening to everybody else? So I thought there's gotta be a way that we, we get a little more positive with the solutions. And uh, I give a lecture at the New England Aquarium and the screen that I was projecting on was an IMAX screen. So it was like seven stories tall and it, you know, it was this huge auditorium. And I remember preparing for that. I thought, wow, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna bum people out here. So I uh, ran to the toy store and, and I had this idea and I got all the blue marbles they had, this little Boston toy store. And I stood at the doorway into the IMAX theater and I gave everybody a blue marble and everybody said, what's this for? And I said, you'll find out. And truth be known, I wasn't sure what, it, what I was gonna say about the blue marble. I just knew I needed, to, I needed to be more positive. And at the end of the lecture, the last slide, you know, seven stories tall, image of 
the Na the first photograph NASA took of Earth from space called the blue marble. That was my last sort of kind of coincidentally, but perfectly. That was the last photo on 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 the screen. And I said, you know, that blue marble I gave you when you came in and you, know, you didn't even know who I was at the time. Pull it out, pull it out of your pocket or your, your purse, or your bag uh, and hold it up. And everybody sort of, you know, held their blue marble up. And I got it. This is my got a blue marble right there. It looked kind of like that one on the spine of the book. And people held them up. So that's what we look like from a million miles away. And, and the math was pretty close at arm's length. That's about what we would look like if you could fly a million miles away. We're a little water planet. You go a billion miles away, we're just a pixel, as Carl Sagan would say, we're pale blue dot. Uh, that's humbling, super humbling. And most, the only people who are gonna have that perspective are astronauts, at least for a while now. And, uh, and so I said, take your blue marble and think of someone that you wanna say thank you to. Maybe brings their own bag to the grocery store or is doing something good to protect your local waterway or making life better. And over the next week or so, I want you to pass your blue marble on and share that gratitude. Put the marble in their hand, tell them the story and then ask them to do the same thing. And uh, you'll make them happy, even if it's just for a minute, you might make their day, might make their year. They might just be really touched. I don't know, but just pass, it's just, it's just a recycled glass blue marble. Pass it on, looks a little bit like an eyeball, in fact. <laughs> and uh, people did it. I got more feedback than all of my other lectures ever combined. And it was positive and people were just, like not bummed out. They were not, I did not create more red mind. I created blue mind and it rippled. Like that one lecture in Boston rippled out and people were sending their marbles around. And, and I thought, I gotta, I gotta get myself some more marbles. So I <laughs> contacted Marble King in West Virginia and ordered a box of them and went through those. And fast forward now we've given away over a million marbles. Uh, and they're, they have sharing built into them. When you give someone a marble, you, you have that conversation, you ask them to pass it on. So it gets, it keeps moving. So that million marbles has probably reached tens of millions of people if people keep passing them. Uh, not to mention people sharing their stories like we are now or posting them on social media and telling their stories. As a result, uh, Harrison Ford got a marble, Jane Goodall got a marble, uh, the great Sylvia Earle got a marble, uh, the Pope and the Dalai Lama both got marbles. Um, it just kind of is fun. And it's this simple little, there, there is no organization, there is no budget, there is no master plan, is just this fun thing that you can't turn off. Um, that has become the symbol of blue for blue mind is that um, let's share these ideas let's share our love of water um, you know whether you're sharing it with a group of, of doctors or nurses or therapists or veterans or first responders or teachers or architects um, let's just let's share what we know here make it common knowledge share it with gratitude and 
that I think is a better strategy than the one we've been trying. So that's what the blue marble is all about. Well, what a beautiful concept and really a wonderful concept. And I want to thank Dr. Nichols for joining me today and pick up your book. I want everybody to see your book, the Blue Mind oh, yeah. book. Please go to see, go to the, go and order Dr. Wallace J. Nichols, Blue Mind. It's a fantastic read and it'll make you feel good. And that's what it's about, feeling good. So thank you for joining me today. Uh, my pleasure. Really great to chat with you and, and, and hear about your work and be, be a small part of uh, what you're doing over there. I really appreciate it. It's so important. And thanks again. And this is Dr. Kerry Gelb for Open Your Eyes. Until next time. Thank you. Fitting multifocal contact lenses presents a big opportunity to meet patient needs while growing your practice. Alcon is your partner, not only with our innovative portfolio, but through e-learning. Learn to enhance your multifocal strategy today with the Alcon Experience Academy. Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe For You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe For You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe For You is because it's safe for me and you.